I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. Hello, friend, and welcome to this edition of the Voice of Hope. I'm J. Mark Horst, your host, and I'm looking forward to sharing this next half hour with you. On today's program, we'll look into God's Word for teaching on how we can develop a mind that thinks like Christ thinks. Now, maybe you think that's not possible for us as human beings to think the way Christ does, but I believe the Bible teaches us it's not only possible, but it's a requirement for all who truly want to follow Jesus. And if you'll keep listening, we'll go to the Word of God and give you some specific processes you can use to learn to think like Christ thinks. For me, opening and teaching the Word of God to you is a great privilege. But you know, it's also an awesome responsibility. It's a responsibility I can't fulfill in my own strength. So the words of this song by the Altar of Praise Chorale are my prayer before we look into God's Word today. you, if you can, to turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 for the message, Appropriating the Mind of Christ. Walter Knight told of an old Scottish woman who went from home to home across the countryside, selling things like thread and buttons and string. When she came to an unmarked crossroad, she would toss a stick into the air and then go in the direction the stick pointed when it landed. But one day, She was seen tossing the stick up several times. Someone asked her, Why do you toss the stick more than once? She replied, 
because he keeps pointing to the left, and I want to take the road to the right. She then dutifully kept throwing the stick into the air until it pointed the way she wanted to go. Every genuinely born-again Christian I've ever met has had a desire to know the will of God. But you know, sometimes when God's will doesn't line up with our will, we're like the old Scottish woman. We just keep trying to have it our way. As we think about discerning the will of God, I'm reminded of Psalm 25, verse 9. It says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Notice the words, guide and teach. They tell me that meekness is a key quality in knowing the will of God. In addition, meekness was one of the few character qualities that Jesus ascribed directly to himself. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine. I know that the quality of meekness is often misunderstood today. And even when it is understood, it's certainly not popular. But we need to hear this truth regardless of whether it's popular or not. Our text for today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight. Part of God's will for you and me is to develop the mind of Christ. If we can learn to think like Christ does, won't that help us to know and fulfill His will? Our message today is appropriating the mind of Christ. Again, our text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-8. through eight but I'll begin reading at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. As we examine this text, I'll give you three processes you can use to appropriate the mind of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2:16, But we have the mind of Christ. I want those words to be your testimony, and mine too. And I'm convinced that can only happen as we understand the biblical meaning of meekness. The first process in appropriating the mind of Christ is discover the aim of meekness. Verse 5 of our text says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In order to understand this process, we must first understand the biblical meaning of the word meekness. Strong's Greek Dictionary defines meekness as gentleness, mild, humble. The Complete Word Study Dictionary of the New Testament adds, Primarily, meekness does not denote outward expression of feeling, but an inward grace of the soul, a calmness toward God in particular. It is the acceptance of God's dealings with us considering them as good 
in that they enhance the closeness of our relationship with Him. However, meekness also encompasses expressing wrath toward the sin of man, as demonstrated by the Lord Jesus, who indeed was called meek, but expressed His anger toward those who were chiding Him because He had done a good work on the Sabbath day. That's Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Aristotle said this, Meekness is that virtue that stands between two extremes, uncontrollable and unjustified anger, and not becoming angry at all, no matter what takes place around you. We must understand that meekness is not a false modesty. It's not a lack of self-acceptance. It's a genuine realization of who we are and what we really deserve. It's an understanding that outside of Christ, I am nothing. Once we understand this principle, it will enable us to surrender our personal rights and expectations to God. Now, you may wonder what I mean by surrendering personal rights and expectations. Let me explain. Think of the most recent time when you got angry at someone or something. What was it that triggered your anger? Wasn't it the violation, or at least a perceived violation, of your expectations or your rights? Let me give you an example. Let's say on your lunch break, you call your teenager and say to him, You can make your own plans for the rest of the day. Just make sure you mow the lawn sometime this afternoon. Okay? It's a simple command. There's plenty of time. No problem. But when you get home, the lawn isn't mowed. And your son is nowhere around. Now there is a problem. And all too often, our response is anger. The opposite of meekness. You feel you have a right to be obeyed and your word respected. You expected when you got home that the lawn would be mowed. You expected your command to be sufficient motivation to get the job done. And when it didn't happen, then you got angry. Your rights and your expectations were not honored. Now having said all that, you do have a biblical command to teach your teenager to be responsible. But displays of anger will not accomplish that training. Suppose God got angry with you or me each time we failed to meet his expectations. Now, I know that's a rather lengthy discussion of meekness, but it is so important that we understand what meekness is so we can understand the aim of meekness. What is it that meekness is supposed to produce in our lives? Let's go back to Matthew eleven twenty nine. I mentioned that verse in my opening comments. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Having the mind of Christ will bring you rest. And that's not just the absence of activity. No, the Greek word translated here as rest is made up of two parts. The suffix ana, which adds intensity to the root it precedes, and pao, which means to cease or come to an end. So we can say, complete rest. The aim of meekness is to bring us rest, the calm delight of our soul, that God is in control of my life, and He knows what's best. Remember our illustration of the teenager mowing the lawn? If you understand and develop meekness, when you come home, and the lawn is not mowed, you're disappointed, but not angry. You can approach your son or daughter peacefully and discover perhaps there is a legitimate reason why your command wasn't obeyed. 
Now, if they've been disobedient, sure, discipline needs to follow. But if it's done in a spirit of love, it will accomplish the goal you want. There will be rest. But if you get angry, all you do is build a wall between you and your child, damaging that relationship. You know, Jesus demonstrated meekness perfectly. He was the Son of God, and he had every right to expect men to respect and honor him. When they didn't give him that honor, did he lash out in anger? Of course not. He did address the lack of respect as indicative of who they really were, but not in a spirit of anger. He always spoke the truth in love. He was a person of peace and rest. The aim of meekness is not to make you and I a doormat that people can just run over at will. No, it is to bring us to the place where we see all of life ordered by the loving hand of God. We can then be at rest and respond with a calmness of soul to both the joys and the trials of life. Discovering the aim of meekness is the first process in appropriating the mind of Christ. The second process, then, is develop the attitude of meekness. Now that we know what meekness is, how do we develop it in our walk of faith with Christ? Verses 6 and 7 of our text give us insight from Christ himself. Verse 6 tells us that Christ did not see his equality with God as something to be held so tightly that it prevented him from obeying the will of his Father. Jesus was the incarnation of God. He was God come in the flesh. He was of equal worth with the Father. However, his role was one of subordination. And Jesus was so obedient to the will of the Father that he could say, I do only those things that please the Father. He yielded his divine rights to the will of the Father. You'll remember his words during his arrest that he could have called for twelve legions of angels. He had that authority, that right to do so. But then he added, How will the plan of the Father be fulfilled if I do that? Developing the attitude of meekness shows we understand our place in life and we're content to let God have his way in us. When this attitude becomes a mindset, it will affect every area of our lives. Developing the attitude of meekness requires faith. It's not just something that happens. We must have faith that the one to whom I yield my rights is trustworthy. We must have the assurance that God really does know best and that he never makes a mistake. We must believe that what he's trying to accomplish in us and through us is worth the frustration, the pain, the cost. Jesus had that assurance and he modeled it so well for us. And then, meekness also requires surrender. The realization that what I give up, I may never get back. But you know, our Heavenly Father is not sadistic. That is, He does not put us through pain simply because He enjoys seeing us hurt. No, His goal is to conform us to the image of His Son. But I would say this, the more difficult we find it to surrender, the greater pain we may need to experience. Now, this surrender is not passive. It requires active participation on our part. It comes as a result of a struggle. Hebrews 5.7 speaks of Christ offering up strong crying and tears to the Father as he wrestled with the reality of the cross. And verse 8 says, He learned obedience 
by the things which he suffered. Now, if this was true for the sinless, perfect Son of God, how much more so for you and me? Through struggle, the Apostle Paul surrendered his thorn in the flesh to the will of God. And then Abraham, he struggled to surrender himself to the will of God. When he was commanded to offer Isaac, he had to die emotionally to Isaac. There's no other way he could have followed through on God's command without that surrender. To him, Isaac was as good as dead, even before the deed was carried out. But he had the faith that God would keep his promises in spite of the fact that he, Abraham, couldn't see how. My friend, we too must learn to surrender our plans and our hopes and our dreams to God. Not abandon them, not give them up totally, but allow God to take them and to bring them to reality in His timing, if indeed they are part of His will for us. Recall the man in Scripture who came to Jesus and asked Him to be the arbiter between Him and His brother in matters of their inheritance? Jesus immediately pointed to the covetous heart of the one who came and warned His disciples of the deceitfulness of riches. You know, that man probably had plans for his share of the inheritance, and they may have been legitimate plans, but he needed to realize that his relationship with his brother was more important. He needed to surrender those plans to God. And then I think of David. Even though he knew God had chosen him to be the next king of Israel, he surrendered to God's timing. He refused to harm the Lord's anointed even when he was presented with opportunities to kill Saul. David demonstrated an attitude of meekness. He understood that God's way is best, even if it leads through much difficulty. Developing an attitude of meekness will release us from the tyranny of anger. Instead of seeing people as the cause of our problems, we know that behind the scenes is our benevolent Heavenly Father, and He is using our personal relationships and the circumstances of our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. Meekness helps us see the bigger picture and cooperate with God as He accomplishes His purpose in our lives. There is much struggle, but there is much joy, too, as we develop the attitude of meekness. The final process, then, is demonstrate the action of meekness. Verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, if we are like Jesus, if we understand the aim or goal of meekness, and if we develop the attitude of meekness, then humility and obedience will be the natural result. Notice I said natural result. I didn't say automatic result, because you and I still have a choice. Our actions flow out of our thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. We see Jesus demonstrating this meekness in action as he wrestled with his impending crucifixion in Matthew chapter 26. Three times he asked the Father about the possibility of removing the cup of suffering that he was facing. But he always ended by saying to his Father, Not as I will, but as you will. You see what I mean? How the obedience was natural, but not automatic? This was a quality of meekness in the life of Jesus. The Apostle Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be removed. 
My understanding of these prayers is that they were not simple sentences created in the mind. I believe Paul was wrestling with God, crying out for the removal of what he saw as a hindrance to his ministry. But God said, No, I will not remove this weakness from you. I will demonstrate my power through you in spite of this weakness. And Paul was content with that. We too need to learn how to cry out to God. He will take us through difficult situations to test our commitment and our obedience to Him and to this quality of meekness. Psalm 4, verse 3 and 4 say this, But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call upon him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Do you see the action of meekness demonstrated here? Call upon the Lord. He will hear. And then when he speaks, take his word to heart and be still. Be at rest. Be at peace. How can you and I demonstrate the action of meekness in our daily living? Well, there are so many practical ways. Demonstrating the action of meekness will affect our behavior in our homes, in our workplaces, and on the highway. It will affect our speech. It will affect all our relationships with other people. Our whole life will demonstrate whether or not we've really understood and embraced these processes. I'll let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart on the applications you need to make. Now as we close our time in the Word, let's review these processes by which you and I can appropriate the mind of Christ. First, discover the aim of meekness, which is rest. Develop the attitude of meekness, which is surrender. And finally, demonstrate the action of meekness, which is obedience. These processes will help us in our goal of appropriating the mind of Christ. May the Holy Spirit take the teaching of His Word and apply it to our hearts today so that we might truly have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You for speaking to us through Your Word. Thank You for showing us how to think like Jesus does. I pray for my friend and for myself too that you will help us to use these processes to become more like you in thought, in attitude, and in action. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
My friend, I trust the Lord has spoken to your heart. Were you challenged by our time in the Word? As I studied the Word in preparation for this message, I saw the need for growth in this area of my life. Is there someone you know who would benefit from hearing this teaching? Or would you like to listen to this teaching again, so you could think more carefully about the principles that were presented? If you were encouraged by today's program, it only takes a few moments to send an email or write a note to let us know. Now the easiest way for you to contact us is by using our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. Or you may call us toll-free at 866-960-0292. Or mail your request to The Voice of Hope, Box 3, Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. Remember, you can request a copy of the teaching, Appropriating the Mind of Christ, either in print or on an audio CD. Or you can log on to our website, heraldsofhope.org, and listen to this teaching whenever it fits into your schedule. We also invite you to visit our Facebook page to see a daily prayer request, learn about upcoming events, or to read an encouraging testimony. It's also an easy way for you to send a message to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Now once again, you may send your request to our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. By mail, The Voice of Hope, Box 3, Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. Or pick up your phone and call us toll-free at 866-960-0292 and ask for the teaching, Appropriating the Mind of Christ. If you'd like to help support this ministry financially, you can include a gift with your letter or you can donate securely online at heraldsofhope.org or by calling our toll-free number 866-960-0292. Truly, it is God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, that will enable the Voice of Hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. Now, friend, I hope you'll join me next week for the Voice of Hope. And until we meet again, Give me a sight, O Savior, of thy wondrous love to me, of the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. Say